This is the Biblical Mind Podcast, produced by the Center for Hebraic Thought. Honest five-star reviews help others find this podcast. Visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org for articles and videos that explore the deep structures of Scripture. Friday morning, Shabbat prep usually begins sometimes Thursday night, sometimes Friday morning, depending on whether or not we're hosting people for meals at our house or alternatively, just how messy the house is. You know, ideally your house is, um, you you know, people will clean, people will organize, make sure there's a nice tablecloth. If you have small children, sometimes um, all of that stuff doesn't get done mm-hmm. perfectly in advance. Um because of certain restrictions um, that we observe over the course of the 25 hours of Shabbat, we need to cook our food in advance. So usually that means Friday morning, I will be making food. Um, I always make um, challah, which is the traditional bread that we eat on Friday night and on Saturday during the day at meals. Um Right now, given that it's the summer, Shabbat starts quite late. So there's plenty Mm -hmm. of time to bathe the children, shower yourself, make sure that everything is in place. You have to sort of strategically turn on lights based on where you might need them. Um, In bathrooms, for example, or in a living room. Um, And turn on a hot water boiler if you drink coffee, which we do religiously in my family. Um... We light candles to signify the uh, start of the Shabbat that happens on Friday night, depending on what time of year it is, um, around sundown. Um, There's some praying and singing that happens immediately following the cat for the candle lighting and then immediately following it. Um, We have Friday night dinner is a big meal and also Saturday lunch is a big meal. There's also a third meal um, on Saturday called Sudas. Uh, Shlishit, which um, sometimes men will have at shul, depending on when the praying times are. But we have a big meal on Friday that involves a ritual blessing of wine, ritual blessing of bread, ritual blessing of children. Um, Saturday morning, we usually go to synagogue. Um, service will last for a few hours, depending on where exactly we're going to shul. Um, and then we have lunch on Saturday, um, either at our house or at a friend's. And then like, there's honestly, depending on, again, depending on the time of year, there's a number of hours that are, that amount to leisure time. Uh, sometimes reading, studying, sleeping, any of those things. Yeah. Uh, and do you go to a Kabbalah Shabbat service typically? We do not. Uh, my understanding and um, or my observation anyway is that usually the Kabbalah in in Reform or conservative communities, the Kabbalah Shabbat service tends to be sort of uh, the the better attended service. Mm-hmm. In Orthodox communities, it tends to be the Saturday morning. Oh, That's not to say that people don't go to Kabbalah Shabbat, but mm, a lot of families with young children will not, particularly oh, in the yeah. summer. It's quite late. Yeah. You know, you could start early. You can you can bring in Shabbat early. Um, 
but uh, a lot of a lot of families are you know getting still getting ready um and so saturday morning is typically the time where we're really there yeah and kabbalah shabbat uh, as I understand it and have experienced it, I've only done it in Israel, but uh, it's where you're welcoming, you read, mm-hmm. the, you sing some Torah portions and you welcome the Sabbath. And and the one I went to, I don't know how standard this is, but you actually turn around at one point in the service and like look to the back of the room as if the bride, like Sabbath is the bride that comes into the room. Is that? Is that yeah, that, no, that's standard. That's part okay. of, um, that's part of a song called Lecha Dodi, which is a, a standard song that's sung during Kabbalah Shabbat. It's a very beautiful service. I mean, generally, Kabbalah Shabbat is a very beautiful service. Right. It's very, um, um, there are beautiful traditional melodies. Um, and you're exactly right. It, the The idea is that you're welcoming the bride or the queen. Mm. Um, Shabbat has, you know, a, a I guess like boats or, you know, like a, like a tends to be a feminine in, in, uh, right, in, right. Si- in symbol and, um, Oh yeah. Like a nation or a boat. Yes, or, exactly. Or I hadn't thought <laughs> these, about that. These yeah. beloved things. Um, yeah. and, um, so as a community or as a family or whatever you, you welcome this, this, um, this Royal presence into your, into your homes, into your lives. Um, so you wrote this article that piqued our interest called Why Your Digital Shabbat Will Fail, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I love the title. Uh, but uh, as you said before we started recording, um, maybe some people thought that that was a little too harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but why Why will, A, what is this digital uh, Sabbath thing that you've heard? I mean, I've, I've heard of people doing it. I've heard of corporate books even like prescribing a Sabbath for executives because, you know, uh, not even for any religious reasons, just because it actually creates a rhythm that's good. Uh, I should also say um, a good friend of mine, uh, Joshua Berman, who's a rabbi and biblical scholar in, in, uh, at, at Bar Ilan in, uh, mm-hmm. in Israel, uh, he likes to say, and maybe this is a common thing, he likes to say, you know, the month, the day, the year, these are all celestial. They're all tied to the moon, to the the sun. They're all tied into the actual, the, the nature of the, the galaxy, or sorry, our solar system. Shabbat is the only artificial time frame. There is no seven-day cycle in nature at all. It's mm. completely it's completely created uh, in that sense. Um, and so uh, why do you think digital Shabbats are going to fail people? So... Okay. Well, first of all, I have to say I don't come up with the title, or in this case, yes. I didn't come up with the title. We should always qualify. The Authors never get the title. No, I you, yeah. very, very rarely are you yeah. are you in yeah. charge of the title. Um, and um, so, so basically, the re- the impetus for writing it was I I noticed that um, Shabbat was sort of being, uh, you might say, appropriated by various. Uh, uh, worldviews, people. There's a corporate element, as you said. There's a wellnessy, creativey mm. Shabbat is for, for you to, you know, I'm going to have my own Shabbat so that I can like reinvigorate my creative side. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the uh, just generally from tech weary people, sort of seeing this thing that that I understand looks. Um, like the absolutely perfect antidote to a lot of the things that people struggle with. Um, And there's a tendency in these cases 
to, um, you know, to sort of want to mold Shabbat um, or make your own Shabbat, quote unquote, a lot of people will say, um, so that you can do away with some of the stuff that maybe doesn't speak to you as an individual, like, for example, um, studying Torah, um, going to synagogue, things that tradition that observant Jews would traditionally do on Shabbat, but the average, maybe tech weary person doesn't want to do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I want to clarify, and I did clarify it in the piece, two things. One is that I love Shabbat. It's a huge part of my life. It's a very, it's one of the most important things that I do. And it is very restorative. It does all the things that people want it to do. Um, And I also am a tech skeptic. So I do believe in figuring out ways to create boundaries around tech usage for individuals. The prop, there's, there's one major problem, two major problems that I pointed out in the piece. One is that Shabbat is usually done in a community where other people observe Shabbat. And that is an important element of it, an important element of the rest part, actually. And I feel, uh, qualified to speak on how important that is because, well, I, first of all, I didn't grow up observing Shabbat. I didn't start obser- observing Shabbat until my 20s. And I started observing it in, an, in a community where it was largely not observed. Mm-hmm. And that is a much more different that experience, a much more challenging experience. Um, and it's hard to get into that sort of nice flow state with other people mm-hmm. when other people are on their phones all the time. And um, or, you know, you're kind of constantly having to explain to them why you can't just text them when you arrive at the meetup place or various things of this nature. The other, the other problem, which I think is actually the bigger problem, is that I feel that part of the reason that people are so burnt out like capital B, capital O, burnt out, if that's, if we are using two words, I don't know if that people usually write that as two words or one word. But anyway, it, a, lot, a big reason why people are so burnt out is um, because there is this sense that you could always be improving. You can always be putting these things into your life to make your life better. And there's a weird undercurrent there of like, and if you aren't doing those things, there's something, not that there's something wrong with you, but you could always be trying harder, right? So I see part of what happens around Shabbat and part of what happened also around mindfulness meditation and certain other sort of, and around certain um, um, indigenous ritual involving um psychedelics, you'll see a lot right. of this happening Sweat now, and- where, um, you know, people think I can, I can take this stuff out and I can leave everything that I don't want and I can use it for my own good. But I think that the, that just even the concept of, I am enforcing this meaning on top of something. It is, um, you know, it is my job to infuse this thing with meaning is exhausting, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. part of the exhaustion. and. Mm-hmm. Part of what is beautiful about Shabbat and a lot of Jewish ritual ritual generally is that there is a certain amount of letting go of control. I am not in control of this thing. I do not make the rules. It is not about me. 
And that's part of the rest part. So I think that by, by, by making it about you, and not in a narcissistic pathological way, but just even by, by, try, by seeing this good thing and wanting it in your life, and I totally get that, but I fear that that just becomes part of the, that, that involves the same amount of effort that you're doing for any other thing. Mm. And that feeds right back into this very contemporary exhaustion that people are feeling. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, it's actually really dispiriting <laughs> in a great sort of way. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was thinking it's it's almost like, you know, this version of Shabbat is is like strip mining and what you're suggesting is praying for rain instead. It's kind of two dispositions. Um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, there it is dispiriting. And I feel this in a lot of areas of my life. It's not that because I have Shabbat, then it's all fine. Like, I, I feel these things too. I do feel like there's something, um, I mean, it, there's an American element to this too, right? It is a very big part of American culture, this in, the individualism and the idea mm-hmm. that we can always be improving ourselves. And it comes out in these ways that are very subtle now that might be couched in certain sort of self-carry language. It was very, you know, in the early 2000s, the, the wellness movement that was really about your body, that was about you know, you too can have the absolutely perfect health if only you try hard enough. But it was really, there was this really slippery language around it that um, actually was kind of put more pressure on the individual in the end. And I feel like I see that coming out a little bit now in areas around mental functioning and, um, and uh, you know, mindfulness and contentedness. Um, and, and I saw a little bit of that happening with Shabbat. So that's what I was really pointing out. Yeah, you uh, quote, Abraham Heschel, who famously, uh, well, like lots of people talked about Shabbat being an island in time, Mm -hmm. but then you connected as well. Actually, the most powerful sentence in this article for me was, but no, we do it for a very unfashionable, very simple, supremely awesome reason because God told us to. Mm -hmm. Um, I... Yeah, I think I think there's one way in which people can hear God told us to, and like, ah, oh, geez, you know, naive fundamentalist, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's another way in which you, you know, in, in which you say, well, what does this, what does Shabbat do for a community? A community might be able to wholeheartedly say, I, I don't actually know all the stuff it does for me, but I know it does. It has these beneficial, uh, these benefits to it. Um. It, but you do also seem to suggest here that there is no version, or as I point out to my students, most of the yous in scripture are y'alls, not you individually. Uh, so y'all shall work six days and y'all, y'all shall uh, Shabbat on one, whatever Shabbat means there specifically. Um, do you think there's like, okay, so if, if you are a Christian who wants to practice Shabbat faithfully in a, in a Christian community that does not practice it, mm-hmm. like they don't take the day off the way they should, or mm-hmm. if you're a Jew in the same situation, do you think there is value to just as an individual saying, I'm going to do this because God said to, and I feel like it's an eternal commandment that's important? That's a great question. And that was one of the points of te- uh, unspoken points of tension in the article that honestly, um, 
my editor at Wired is fantastic and she lets me write about a lot of things that <laughs> maybe, you know, a lot of people were like, wow, this is kind of a pro-religion piece and Wired, I did not expect this, but yeah, that's just yeah. my editor is very special. Um, but of course, I didn't necessarily have the space to get into the theological weeds of this. Um, so that's a good question. I think the answer, broadly speaking, is I don't know, or it depends on the paradigm you're looking at it from, mm-hmm. right? From a Jewish perspective, um, if if a, an individual or a Christian or a body of Christians wanted to observe Shabbat, um, that would probably be seen as a net neutral. Like, that's nice, great. It's not it's not the same as a body of Jews. If you, and, and why that is, is I I like to tell people because people, I think even if you grow up not religious in the U S or in probably in many parts of the world outside of maybe the middle East, your sort of understanding of religion is something, a set of beliefs and affinities, Right. So Judaism is a little bit different in that it's really a set of laws. That doesn't mean that beliefs and affinities don't play any role in it. It just means that the laws are kind of primary, the a primary factor. Right. Um, and um, so Judaism really sees this this you know there's this huge body of laws that apply to Jews that don't apply to non-Jews. So if a non-Jew wanted to keep those laws. It would be fine, but they are. But it's not any. There's no problem if they don't want to do it. They're not seen as um, transgressing any norm, or as committing any sin, if you will. Um, but it, you might even crudely say, it doesn't count in the same way that a Jew does, or or it does if a Jew doesn't keep that law. There's actually an argument in the Talmud, which I think is so fascinating. I was just reading about this recently. The rabbis had this discussion what is better? Is it better to do something because you want to do something? Or is it better to do something because you're commanded to do something? And they land on commanded, which Mm -hmm. I think is, I mean, is also fascinating just from a 21st century morality perspective, because that is totally antithetical to our current dominant culture, which is really, you should never do anything unless it's authentically bubbling up inside of you or whatever. And part of the reason they say that, it comes up a few times in the Talmud, one of the places they say it, they actually, one of the rabbis says like, you should want to do these bad things. You should, or not bad things. You should want to do these things that you aren't supposed to do. And and therefore, you know, you're overcoming something in yourself to get there. Um, I bring that up only to say, that um, uh, that so a, a, somebody who's Christian who then you know would choose to keep Shabbat or would would want to develop a, a stricter Shabbat practice would be missing some of those same things that 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 Jews have to uh, you know they're they're not obligated in the same way right um, and yeah. Do you think people in Israel are cheating when basically the whole country shuts down on Shabbat? (laughs) (laughs) They just have it so easy. I mean, it is very nice. I would not say that it is. Um, Well, first of all, I think it, it would depend somewhat on where you live. Certainly if you live in Jerusalem or if you live in like B'nai Brak, let's say, then, then that's, 
easier. You might not have the option of, of doing certain things. Um, if you live in Tel Aviv, that might be more complicated or in cities that are more secular areas that are more secular. Um, but there are also millions and millions of ways to break Shabbat. I mean, you could do it in your own house. So yeah. there's lots of temptations, I'm sure, even for those people. Yeah, I think uh, my friend, uh, Dr. Favre Shapiro, when she cited your article, she put a little biography next to it, like, you know, in, until you've been in a hotel and you just can't eat anything there, until you've until you've experienced kind of the pains of Shabbat as well. Yeah, it's really difficult to say that you're practicing Shabbat. So there is a sense where there are easy versions of practicing it or easier versions mm-hmm. of practicing mm-hmm. it. But she highlighted like there, you know, these these individual Shabbats miss the community point because there's no pain to them, and without the pain, there is no real Shabbat. Yeah, I think. Um... And not in a bad pain, but just that it it, it 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 can alienate, it can cause discomfort, it can cause problems for you when you're trying to do all the same things that everybody else is doing. It's, it, I mean, like a lot of things, I think, in Jewish ritual, it is um, difficult. It's, I mean, I remember when I was first becoming religious, sometimes people would say to me very wistfully, oh, I wish I could be religious. It seems that there are all these, um, you know, well, if you have this belief, then you don't have any questions anymore. You don't have any moral qualms. Um, I mean, maybe this is just a flaw in my personality, but I do not have, <laughs> I, that was not my experience. Yes. Um, but also I was like, well, gosh, these people have never been an Orthodox Jew. I mean, it is a very, it's a demanding way to live. It's a, de- there's, um, it's not easy. You know, I think also, I remember David Brooks years ago wrote this article and he was standing in the parking lot outside of a kosher grocery store on a Friday. And he was like, everybody's these beautiful families. They're all so, uh, you know, they're getting ready for this day of serenity. And, and my, I, a friend of mine who um, is observant was like, oh gosh, he, he does, he's never been in a house where you're right. scrambling to make sure everything's prepared <laughs> right. and you're taping the light in your fridge because when right. you open the fridge, the light's going to turn on and off. Um, so it's, it's, um, you know, there, there are many, many advantages to doing it. Obviously I feel the advantages outweigh the disadvantages. Otherwise I wouldn't, I chose to live this way. So, um, you know, I did so for a reason, but that does not mean that it is easy all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Since you're somebody who moved from not necessarily practicing into practicing uh, religious Judaism, uh, how long would you say it took you before you realize some of these benefits, like like deeply realize them, not just like, oh, yeah, this is kind of nice. Oh, it's good to be around. Not, not the superficial that maybe attracted you to it, but like where you were like, oh, this is necessary. Um. That might be a, a longer answer, and it might it might be an answer that's different for different things. I can say specifically with respect to Shabbat, I remember feeling, knowing very clearly early on. First of all, the attraction to to orthodoxy was really about, or had a big strict Shabbat observance played a major role there, um, and for the reasons that it attracts a lot of people. Just like I said before, I have always um, resisted the overreach of big tech um, in my own life and have been skeptical about its uh, 
you know, the, the ethos that, that it gives us. And, um, it seemed, oh yes. And then you get to spend quality time with people and you're having time at home. I mean, this is before I had children, before I was even married. Um, and, um, so I intellectually, I saw all the value in it. Practically that took a while because I was Mm -hmm. doing it by myself at the time. Um, to tell like all the details of my life, but my now husband, who was then my boyfriend, um, was not observant and was not, did not profess to any, have any sort of major desire to, to have, to be observant at all or have strict Shabbat observance. I mean, he recognized having a Friday night dinner is nice. The home where he grew up, they would go to services on Friday night and then have dinner. And then the next day they would drive to the play baseball or whatever it was they did. Um, but he didn't want to have a strict, you know, where you're tearing your toilet paper in advance because mm-hmm. you can't tear. Um, and I remember that time as actually being pretty lonely um, and, um, you know, walking by myself to synagogue a lot. I was living in an area of Brooklyn that wasn't overly religious. So I would walk like oh, a good 30, 45 minutes to go somewhere that I that I wanted to go to. Um you know, having no network or, or a very small network, I would say, of uh, of people who were also observant. So um, if people would come over, you know, most of them would be on their phones, which was fine at the time. But the uh, also, you know, I would have I would go to services and then we would have lunch or kiddish at the, the sometimes they'll have snacks and drinks and stuff after the services. So I would have that and that would be nice. Um, and then I would go home and then I would be like, what on earth am I going to do for the next five hours? Mm. I'm just going to stare at the wall. Um, and um, I met a woman at that time who also had become religious in a, as an adult. And I was explaining this to her and she said, she said, it sounds like what you're doing is white knuckling it, basically. And she said, I, she was telling me about how she remembered doing that. And then she said, I, now I, there can never be enough Shabbat. And I remember thinking like, you're crazy. Like what, Hmm. how could you just sit here all day? And at the time I was very focused on working. I wanted to be, I wanted to be very productive in my, in my writing life. And it was, it would become, it was fine when I was with people and I was socializing and I was praying. But when I was by myself, I really, it was hard to think of myself as not being productive in this very particular mm. way. Things started to shift. Um, first of all, it might have just been passage of time and getting into the habit of it and understanding the discipline of it. Um, it took, I would say, t- about maybe about two years. Um, and then I started to notice that shift happen where I wasn't really anxious to get back online so I could check my email at the end of Shabbat. Mm. Um, and now I feel like I am sort of in that position where I feel like I look forward to it. I am not counting the minutes until it's over. And so, yeah, some of that has to do with developing the discipline, taking the time. Some of it has to do with living in a more robust community now where, um, you know, there's this sort of easy socializing that happens where you see people and you might end up at their houses and this sort of languid air that sets in Mm. when you know that um, 
people are operating in on uh, in this with this different um, this different concept of time, and a, a lot about what Heschel writes about in terms of making this this island or this this sacred period of time. Um, and once you start to sort of feel that. I wish I could give a prescription for how that happens, mm. but I'm not sure that I can. I think in my own life, like I was saying, it, it just sort of developed. And I think that's also part of the reason why it might be, you know, I think today, this is a very boomery thing to say, but today, you know, people like things to happen quickly. Um, they And they want change to be to be quick and they want to be, but they want to be able to maybe move on when that thing is, okay, well, I've done, you know, my sober October, or I've done this little jumpstart of uh, that part of my life. And now I want to move on to the next thing. And I think um, that can be a mistake. It really might at times prevent you from sort of allowing, allowing um, the benefits of that to unfold in your life in a long-term way, I guess. Well, Kelsey Osgood, thank you so much for your article, uh, Why Your Digital Sabbath Will Fail, (laughs) and your wisdom on this topic. Thank you. You've been listening to the Biblical Mind Podcast, exploring the deep structures of Christian scripture. For more, visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org. Subscribe to this podcast at all the usual places so you never miss an episode.